1: It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You can just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel and I am Matt and today we're answering your listener questions.
0: Hope everyone out there had a wonderful weekend, and we're glad that you tuned in to How to Money. <laughs> uh, it's like a radio radio pitch. I know you don't is- tune in on your podcatcher. You hit play. You hit play, but yeah. you don't actually, you don't tune in. You're just, you're looking for that little green square, the sea green, what do you call our color? Sea green? Yeah, something like that. It's like a, Yeah, sea foam green background. A little insight. Joel
1: and Matt. Do you remember back when we were getting our... <gasps> Getting it made, and we almost were, were, were this close to going with pink. Yeah,
3: and was it was awesome. it was
1: like a salmony
0: color, and it was. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to share that. Have we ever talked about that? I don't know, but maybe maybe we'll share the. Oh um, yeah, I mean, we should the alternate because I'm on Instagram. Pretty sure, we I've still got it on my computer, but we we're because we liked it. It looked really cool, but I think we. We were going too far off the beaten path I guess like ultimately it's like how to money okay let's go with the more the green color yeah but we really dug the whole pink look we were so close it was a lot of <laughs> it would have been cool it would have yeah. been cool it would have it would have felt like uh Miami uh, yeah you know because like, like the embraced, messy uniform yes which is everybody wants wants one of those jerseys right certainly it fits really well with Miami and kind of the uh, what do you what do you call that like Art Deco, yeah. you know, like just sort of like that vibe, the whole thing that they got the going on down Beach there. The South Beach party vibe, for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. But ultimately, I'm glad we didn't go with it. <laughs> <laughs> didn't go with the pink. But this is an Ask How to Money episode. We're we're gonna hear from a listener who is helping a loved one with their personal finances. Uh, another listener is mobile homing his way to wealth, and we're also gonna discuss how tax loss harvesting is for everyone. Uh, we'll get to those plus more during this episode. Yeah, it could potentially save you a ton in tax. We got to talk about that. At and there's all? something. It just depends, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like there's, there's as always with personal finance stuff. There's a lot of nuance involved. Yeah, man. All right. I got a quick frugal or cheap for you. So uh, this is the first time I've seen you all day because earlier today the power went out here at the office. And mm-hmm. it was out for, for, for hours, basically. So you just pieced out. I was already at home doing yeah. something, and I was like, oh, I'm not coming in you, if the power's in, out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I actually left So I put to in my home letter of resignation. <laughs> <laughs> to, I left to go home to work. But before I did that, I thought, well, there's a chance it flips back on here real shortly. So I want to get your take. If this is a frugal or cheap, I grab the iMac. I unplugged it. Which is
1: what, like a 24-inch screen, 27-inch screen? That, it's huge. Yeah,
0: they're, they're pretty big. Yeah. And I walked across to the coffee shop that you know I always go to every single Monday because I thought, oh, there's a good chance that they've, that they've got power, but I thought twice about it because I was... I didn't want to be judged. I was afraid that folks <laughs> were going to shame me for walking in with a giant computer. Granted, like it's a not Like a laptop's okay, but <laughs> sorry, sir, this is it's too not, much. It's not like back in the day where you would show up with a giant what is it, like CRT monitors or whatever? Yeah. You know, just like the old blocks, which I remember seeing pictures of people doing back in the mid-2000s, oh, yeah. early Those 2000s. Those were heavy, too, just like the tube yeah. TVs. <laughs> but what are your thoughts? Was uh, Is that a ch- uh, frugal or cheap move to be like i'm gonna go over there and, and set up camp i think if you did it regularly, for a couple hours that'd be one thing because if uh, i did it what if you did it regularly oh, like okay. you yeah. know where you're like hey every like four days a week
1: i come in here and i just plop down <laughs> for five hours um and, and maybe i don't buy anything either i don't patronize this place but it's a rare occurrence right where we, we, we patronize that place fairly regularly not not daily of course but yeah. they almost know our names yeah yeah <laughs> I, I am actually amazed at this point that they still ask <laughs> our names uh, when we order the same thing the two of us every monday morning but uh no i think it's totally fine because it is, its our local coffee shop, man, and if you go yeah. there for a few hours because the power's out, I think they
0: understand even if you are dragging in some gargantuan <laughs> fancy screen. Okay, I'm glad you feel that way. I did think twice about it, but turns out they actually didn't have power either. Right. And so I showed up, I stood there, and I realized all the lights were off. I was like, oh man, y'all are, uh, y'all lost power too? And they're like, yeah, and then they saw my computer and started laughing. Um, <laughs> actually, one of the girls took a photo of me, or she, she asked. She was like, hey, do you mind if I take a photo because we always joke about people showing up with their <laughs> <laughs> with their iMacs to the coffee shops so i guess it's like an inside joke for baristas to yeah. see somebody sh- walking up with her with her iMac but I, again i think if you did it on the
1: reg, and you made that like your home base, and you play. You made made it seem like that was your co working space. That's too much, right? Right. You
0: like, yep, yep. B- Brought in your filing cabinet too to sit next to you. That's just overboard. Bring in your ergo ergonomic chair. <laughs> right. You got your ball that you're sitting on to make sure your posture is yeah. good. That would be that would feel a little a little different. Yeah, too but far. I do think whether or not you buy something during a visit, that that goes a long way. Hundred um, percent. Because I was thinking about this the other day. I feel like this is going long, but I'll make it quick. You could save a ton of money by just going to a coffee shop and buying a coffee. Like, think about the cost of these co-working spaces. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what you just mentioned, that. They're a lot of money. And if you could instead go to some of your favorite different coffee shops, kind of bounce around, keep things fresh, I think I would much rather do that. Granted, we have our little space here because we record the podcast. But if I was just like a programmer or something like that, dude, I would 100% A not have a co-working membership yeah. and B, uh, instead go to a, a coffee well, shop. You know who else? You know who took a page out of that book?
1: J.K. Rowling. When, when we visited Edinburgh, we we rocked by the coffee shop where, we, where she got her start, where she wrote the first book. And it was because it was less expensive to to get a coffee than it was to pay for heat at her mm-hmm. apartment. And I'm like, dude, I love that. So much respect for uh, the frugality of J.K. early on. Uh-huh. and I love it. She lost it pretty quickly, I think. <laughs> <laughs> when she made her riches. Considering her final book pulled up in like the fanciest hotel the, the in town. The nicest suite yes. uh,
0: in the nicest hotel where we went and got drinks one time. Yeah, A lovely visit. But yeah, I think a lot of folks are taking a page out of JK's book. Oh, considering too, we work Bankruptcy, Yeah. Evidently, a lot of people don't want to pay for those memberships. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. Lots
1: changed on that. Front, there you right? go. All right, Matt, let's mention quickly the beer we're having on this episode. It's called Broccoli by Other Half. We're drinking our veggies today, which is the best way to do it. Oh, yeah. This uh, big, big thanks to listener Jason who sent over just a plethora of good Other Half beers. Jason, we really appreciate you, man. And um, What a care
0: package. Uh, you can't. One of the best. <laughs> you can't beat that for us to. Rec- I mean, this was. A, I almost shed a tear opening. It made my entire <laughs> month. almost said <laughs> month. Maybe de- year. Definitely made my week. Yeah, uh, no, uh, that was really sweet. awesome. And, and from one of our all time favorite breweries, too. So, uh, by the way, That's if you right. if you
1: have a question you want Matt and I to tackle on an upcoming Ask How to Money episode, we'd love to take it. Just record your question into your phone uh, and then send it our way via email. You can find the instructions there, uh, the simple instructions for how to do that at slash ask. But this first question is about saving taxes when you're selling investments.
3: Hi, Matt and Joel. This is Raphael from Hillsboro, Oregon. Love the show. Thank you so much. My question is about tax loss harvesting. So I understand that you're able to get the losses back as a um, tax reduction. But if you reinvest the money, then eventually you would have to pay uh, capital gains tax. If you don't reinvest the money, then obviously you're losing money overall. So it it seems like the value proposition is pretty small, uh, just in case you're in a very high tax bracket. And even then, it's just, just about 10%. Uh, I'll be happy if you can explain a little bit better what am I missing. Thank you so much. All
0: right, Rafael, good to hear from you. And thank you for that question. Is tax loss harvesting really all that effective? There is a lot of talk on this front. There are different, uh, different players out there, different fintech companies that make this easier. But let's go ahead and define it first. Tax loss harvesting is basically when you sell an investment at a loss in order to offset other capital gains that you might experience and if your losses exceed your gains you can actually deduct those losses up to three thousand dollars if you are married filing jointly in a given year to reduce your ordinary income and then on top of that if your losses are even larger than that you can actually carry them over, and you can claim them to offset not only ordinary income in future years, but also additional capital gains that you might experience. There are so many layers to this onion. Uh, You can carry those losses forward indefinitely. So this is something where there there, there is no cap, essentially. Uh, as to the number of times you can kind of come back to this well and and tap it. And so, granted, keeping up with it for, for multiple years down the road, yes, that does mean you're going to have to keep up with that somewhere. But luckily, the IRS has a, a capital loss carryover worksheet. Nice. To make it nice and easy for you. It's something that you can find in your... Uh, I think it's in Schedule D. That way you're able to stay organized and future deductions that you might take. You can just reference that. Yeah,
1: I, it's really important. That's how, to,
0: that's all. It's as simple as that. Joel. Yeah, <laughs> it's, well, it, I guess, yeah, the, it, there is a little bit of nuance
1: here, right? It's not crazy simple. We're talking about or potential to offset not just capital gains taxes, a significant amount of those, but also ordinary income tax, a small amount of that. And it's also really important to mention that tax loss harvesting, it doesn't work inside of a tax-advantaged account. You don't need tax loss harvesting inside of a 401k or a Roth IRA, let's say, because the the reason is you're not creating a taxable event when you're buying and selling stocks, ETFs, or mutual funds or whatever – inside of those tax advantage accounts that we talk about all the time, right? Tax-loss harvesting, it's only really possible when you're buying and selling inside of your taxable brokerage account, which does result in a taxable event when you're doing that buying and selling. So uh, I just want to point this out because for a lot of How to Money listeners who are sticking fully with those accounts for the time being, who are like, hey, I'm getting the match in my 401k and I've just started you know, getting putting money in the Roth, they're not the taxable brokerage account isn't really on their radar. That's right. Well, this isn't of much consequence to them. This is for ballers, uh, really, who (laughs) who have done a great job not only maxing those out, but
0: sticking significant sums into their taxable brokerage account over the years, too. That's right. Yeah, that's important context to keep in mind. But Raphael, like the heart of his question is, is it really all that beneficial? Well, the goal isn't to lose money when you are investing uh, your money, right? (laughs) You want to make money. But there are ways to use tax loss harvesting during a market downturn as a way to help save at least a little bit that otherwise would have gone to Uncle Sam. Uh, It's most helpful for folks who find themselves in a higher tax bracket. Uh, If you're making bank, that $3,000 that you're able to offset uh, from your ordinary income by selling investments that haven't done so hot, that can help you to avoid some potentially higher rates of tax that you would otherwise have to pay. I think that's what Raphael is kind of referencing there yeah. in his question. The less you make, the less tax that you're skipping out on, which makes this maneuver less advantageous overall. Sort yeah. of like what you were saying. Yeah. If you're a, a low
1: earner with who does have some money in a taxable brokerage account and you're like, oh, should I sell this stock at a loss to get the tax break? Well, that's probably not the right way to think about it. You're letting like the, the, the tax consequence wag the investing dog, which is not the way you want to proceed it, right? And tax loss harvesting is most effective when you invest in single stocks or sector-specific ETFs, which isn't really our jam. That's not the way we advocate for most people to invest, because simple is better for the vast majority of armchair investors,
0: which is, I think, a lot of how-to-money listeners. Yeah, that's that's often, I mean, that's really, that's probably why we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about this, because we want to make sure that the initial 80% is taken care of first, yeah. which is oftentimes what we're discussing here yeah. on the show.
1: Yeah, this is a back-end, last 5 to 10% sort of question, yeah. right? But l- let's say you do the index fund investing thing like we do, right? You're at that point where you're investing in a brokerage account, and you want to use tax loss harvesting to your advantage. Well, you can actually use... Use this tax saving method to get a tax break without shaking up your investment allocation all that much, which is kind of cool. So let's say you could you could sell out of your S&P 500 fund when the market is down, for instance, and then purchase a total stock market fund instead, which allows you to reap those tax savings without changing your investing strategy much at all uh, because those uh, those funds are similar but not identical uh, you can go this route in order to snag that helpful little tax break for yourself so yeah even if you do the index fund investing route inside of your brokerage account you can use tax loss harvesting you're just probably not using it to shield yourself from like you know, millions of dollars, or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax. It's it's just like a, a way at the edges to minimize your tax bill.
0: Yeah, for most people, and this is something that so literally the example you gave. That's something I did. <laughs> so it was back in June of last year. I don't know if you remember, like yeah. the market around that time, it, it had declined significantly. I think it was down like twenty percent or something like that. And I literally sold a big old chunk of VOO, which is Vanguard's. S and P 500 uh, ETF, and instead bought VTI, which yeah. is Vanguard's total stock market ETF, and they're the, like cousins, uh, yeah, or, or it, almost like siblings from a different mother. And in, something in like the eyes of the IRS, they are substantially different enough that you can completely avoid the wash sale rules. So like yeah. that's the whole point of going with something that's substantially different, is because the wash wash sale rule states that were you to sell something and if you were to rebuy that within 30 days well guess what you don't get to deduct those losses (laughs) anymore but you don't want that time out of the market of waiting 30 days so instead what you do is you buy something a little bit different but from a performance standpoint you are often looking at something that f- for most investors is pretty dang identical. Yeah, funds that correlate uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that, so that example you gave, like that is how it would practically look for someone who is specifically in the wealth building stage of their life, right? Who isn't selling many of their investments specifically within a brokerage account. But for an investor who might be, let's say, in the drawdown stage of their investments, theoretically, tax loss harvesting could save you hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Like, Or like an infinite amount, of, not an infinite amount, I guess like even millions of dollars. So imagine you, you were kind of talking about like a baller investor earlier. Imagine there is such a person and let's say they have a fund that's up $900,000. Let's say he sells it. Well, he's going to owe a ton in taxes on those gains. But then let's say there's another investor who has the same fund that's up $900,000. She sells it but she also sells a fund that happens to be down, uh, let's say, $800,000. Well, she's going to owe a lot less in taxes. She's only going to owe on the $100,000 in gains because of tax loss harvesting. She's able to uh, apply that drawdown of 800000 to that gain of nine hundred, netting $100,000. Uh, so for multiple reasons, that's less likely to be the case for most folks. But it is technically possible for this to be a massive way for, in particular, high Yeah net worth individuals who have a lot of money specifically in brokerage accounts to avoid significant amounts of tax. I think it's important to mention that this is kind of like a maybe not a black belt move but if you
1: are a novice investor and you're like oh I'm going to read up everything on tax loss harvesting and I'm going to try to use this to my advantage to save on taxes again you might be short sighted and there's a chance that you can screw this maneuver up uh, in a way that actually harms your your future investing abilities, right? So you got to be careful when, you, when you're attempting to implement kind of like a pro-level move when you're still a novice. And so I uh, just kind of want to put that warning out there. One cool thing that, Matt, we haven't talked about much, but Betterment, which is our favorite robo-advising platform, it's also not something we talk about a ton, but we really do like what Betterment does, and their fees mm-hmm. are incredibly low, given what they offer, well, Betterment has a tax loss harvesting plus strategy. So if you do have significant amounts of money in a taxable brokerage account, Betterment's algorithm can actually do some tax loss harvesting on your behalf without you really having to know what you're doing. <laughs> you can just kind of trust them to handle that and and basically save you money um, on it, when it comes to your taxes most years because they're able to do this automatically and and do this kind of avoid the wash sale rule. And they're able to buy a like kind investment when the market's down basically thanks to their superior technology. So that's, that's kind of cool. If you're saying, Oh, I want to get, get in on some of that tax loss harvesting. That's actually been on kind of my radar, right? As I've, as I'm looking into doing more in my uh, taxable brokerage account, I'm like, Oh, maybe Betterment's actually the best place for me to have that even better than a Fidelity or a Vanguard because of that extra added perk. Again, like for most investors, it takes a lot of work to completely even just max out your tax-advantaged accounts first. And so really, our biggest gripe about tax-loss harvesting is that it can muddy the waters, and it can steer investors' attention away from the more favorable accounts that they should be yeah. investing in.
0: Or it yeah, can, like that, that initial 80%. Yeah. Instead, folks are focused on, like, what is this exotic maneuver the yeah. <laughs> one is like, well, that is something that is good to know about, but or, are, are you at that level or yet? Or it can
1: cause you to sell an investment that is down temporarily where you're saying, and it can change your investing strategy based on trying to get a tax break. And that's not how you want to use it either. Like, just because your Tesla stock is down, you could sell it and buy General Motors, right? But you're like, they're very different sorts of companies. And and, and is that the best move for you? Well, don't do it just because of uh, the tax break that you might be able to achieve.
0: That's right. But we've got plenty more to get to during this episode. We're going to talk about authorized users. We're going to talk about 529 accounts. We'll talk about all that more right after this.
3: If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your
1: money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed
0: that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com
1: to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, Matt, we're back. We're still taking listener questions. And this next one comes from a listener who wants to upgrade his home.
0: Hey, guys, I'm a big fan of the show. always love listening to you guys and learning about all the money hacks. Uh, my question is, I have a, a mobile home that I bought for 6000 the land for $8,500, and uh, about $5,000 worth of renovation, so 20 grand total. Um, the house is worth $53,000, uh, so I got equity immediately. But my question is, for my next house, that I want an actual brick house, um, would it be better to establish a home equity line of credit, uh, get a loan, Uh, with my equity to put a down payment on the next house or should i go ahead and pay this house off i can do that within a year pay this uh trailer house off uh save the 20 percent down and then do it that way i really appreciate an answer thank you all right and he didn't mention it but that's actually from james we know that because uh that's what it said on his email (laughs) but james forgot to mention his name there at the beginning uh but james Dude, you paid $20,000 for a home that is now worth $53,000. Sounds like it was almost like an instant equity gain that yeah. he was able to realize there. Nicely sure. done. And
1: depending on I don't know how long he's he's owned
0: it. Did he say how long he? I don't think he did, not but it very didn't long. like the way he's talking about it, it does not sound like he's had it for for too long. That happened to to really a lot of folks who bought 2019,
1: 2020. Yeah. It's like uh pretty soon overnight <laughs> your home was worth quite a bit more than what you bought it for, which is which is a nice feeling. You're you don't necessarily want to tap the equity but it's also one of those things where it's nice to know that it's there. Yeah, exactly. It's
0: nice to know. Well, and when the time comes for him to sell it, um, which we're, we'll get to, but for an individual, $250,000 of gains are not going to be subject to tax, assuming this was your primary residence, James, just like the the standard rules that apply to a traditional, I don't know, what do you, you call it? A traditional just home? single family home. single family home yeah. as opposed to a mobile home. But I do love that you are working to move from a mobile home to a traditional single family I think most stats show that mobile homes don't appreciate as quickly as single-family homes do. Yeah. So uh, Moving up the property
1: ladder, I think, is not a bad goal here
0: for James, and it sounds like he's done his financial due diligence to pull it off. But should he get a HELOC? Because he does have that equity equity there. Should he tap the equity within that home uh, in order to help you to finance the next one? That's the question. And the the TLDR is probably not. (laughs) We (laughs) would rather we would rather you not take the approach that you mentioned where you are using a HELOC in order to tap that equity. Yeah, exactly. The the latter
1: approach that you mentioned is yeah. the better approach. It's a little more conservative, but it leaves you in a less vulnerable position and just protects you, I would say, uh, protects your finances. And let's discuss why just a little bit, Matt. HELOC rates, they're not awesome right now. We're talking nine to 10% these days. I looked up our local credit unit to see, oh, what sort of rates are they offering on HELOCs? You know, it depends on the specifics, but, um, and it depends on your credit score too of course but we could be talking easily double digits for for HELOCs at and that's at a credit union so imagine kind of mm-hmm. what some of the crummier banks are offering and stuff like that on HELOCs. probably not very good that's a far cry from where we were just a few years ago when people were getting those those sweet delicious candy like HELOCs that were in the in the three-ish percent range right And we've just heard way too many horror stories recently of people who tapped their home equity via a HELOC, home equity line of credit again, by the way, which comes with a variable interest rate. Unlike a home equity loan where you lock in that interest rate for a certain period of time, the home equity line of credit, and that rate can, of course, change on a monthly basis, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. in an era of rapidly rising interest rates like we've been in. Strikes fear into your heart, <laughs> right? As a borrower, <laughs> like kind of scary to 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 be like, oh, I'm locking in this thing. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna make maybe make a bathroom renovation or something like that. And I'm gonna try to pay this HELOC off, you know, within two and a half years, three years, or something like that. Well, as interest rates rise, it's going to mean more money out of your pocket and probably a longer payback period, which sucks. And so, um, yeah, I'm not going to say that taking money out of home equity is a complete no go and that it doesn't make sense for anyone ever or anything like that. But it definitely makes sense in far fewer cases given the current financial climate we find ourselves in we're always in favor of homeowners having a home equity line of credit at their disposal kind of like a backup emergency fund but uh tapping your home equity is rarely a good idea. We'd rather see you take a little more time, actually, to make that leap to this brick house that you're wanting mm-hmm. instead of taking out additional debt, especially at these higher interest rates that could continue to go up. Uh, and that, that kind of debt, it really really could could haunt you, actually, in the end. Totally. If, if you're trying to accelerate that purchase by taking on like, semi-nefarious debt, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, just saving up the old-fashioned way, the uh, cash in 20% down for a down payment that is a tried and true method of home buying Uh, it's certainly going to take longer got to have some patience but that patience is going to pay off in so many ways like there is a reason why twenty percent is the magical number. In order to get the best rate, in order to get the best terms, because it shows the bank, it shows the credit union that you are putting enough skin in the game, right? Like you are, like you're a partner with them. This is something that y'all are working towards together. They want to see you succeed, and uh, you're going in on that purchase together instead of just completely relying on them to give you all the money the, <laughs> that you possibly need in order to pull it off. Yeah. Uh, and on top of that. Uh, There are some additional benefits too, like the ability to avoid additional costs like PMI, which can increase your monthly payment for years to come. And you'll have a a smaller principal balance which is even more important these days given the higher rates out there. And given, too, that you are no longer going to be making payments on your current home, And I think you're going to be able to f- quickly find yourself with that 20% down uh, in order to purchase that home, the next place that, that you want to move into, potentially even before selling the, the the current place that you're in. It's not something he even asked about, too. But uh, Yeah, that puts what, you in a really strong position. It puts you in a crazy strong position, too, and the ability... James, you didn't even mention this, but if you wanted to potentially get into renting that property, that's something that you could entertain as well. For sure. The ability for you to hang on to that for a couple of years, if you're going to be staying local, and hopefully seeing the value of that continuing to rise. I don't think I would hang on to it long term, um, again because of home appreciation and how it's not quite as steep of a return like you would see with a traditional single family home. But man, I, I think I would totally hang on to that for at least a couple of years. Give it a shot. And then sell it without having to, again, having to pay those capital gains. Uh, you're at least try, like testing out the waters yeah, a little so, bit so and much, seeing if so, this is going to
1: work for you. So much of that comes down to whether or not you feel compelled or interested in being a landlord. A lot of people say, that's a part-time job I don't care about, or I don't want. Don't want to do it. Yeah, or maybe yep. you're minimizing your career potential in your day job by kind of trying to do this on the side, but... If it does interest you, if it's like, oh, I've thought about doing that and kind of, kind of having a couple rental properties someday, maybe that's a, maybe that's a dream of mine. Well, if you can save up twenty percent for the next property and you could hold on to the one that you've currently got, that's a great strategy to help get you there. It's, it's, I think it's the easiest way, Matt, for most people to get into. It's either house hacking or it's, or it's that. Yep. Those are the best two avenues to get into owning some sort of rental real estate and maybe the the next best is like an adu accessory dwelling unit which is kind of like house hacking so maybe we'll put it in that category (laughs) but i love that as a way that's that's exactly how i got my first rental property was like the home that i lived in for a while i house hacked it rented out a room and then guess what i moved out rented that whole thing out, moved into another house. And I did that again. And that's a a great, uh, that's a tried and true method I think that people can follow. It just makes it easier to, to get the financing. You have to put less down and it helps you to build up that property portfolio.
0: That's right. So James, we hope that gets you pointed in the right direction. Joel is here from our next listener who is helping a loved one with their personal finances.
4: Hi, Matt and Joel. My name is Alex and I'm calling from Western New York. I've been listening to the podcast for some time now and have loved the content that you've shared with us. I'd love to get your guys' opinion on a question I have regarding an authorized user. I'm currently trying to help a family member get back on their feet after their credit score had tanked to about mid-500s due to medical debt. We have tried to get the bills from their medical office in order to verify them and move forward, but they have been less than forthcoming, so now we're looking for a temporary solution. I'm about to pay off all my credit card debt, which would bring me up to about an 800 credit score. I'm wondering if I make them an authorized user, would that be enough to help them qualify for a decent apartment, or better yet, buy their first home? They're looking to move next year, so do you think making them an authorized user will be enough to help them? Will doing so affect my score? And do you have any advice or suggestions for our situation? Thanks again, guys, and stay safe.
1: All right, Matt, there's a lot in this question that we have to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. So, Alex, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for um, sending this question our way. Because at first, it, it on its face, it appears like a simple authorized user question. But there's actually a whole lot. There's a few additional layers yeah, for us to discuss. It's like an onion in <laughs> this question a little bit. In a good way, right? And there's a lot like to talk about. so
0: much of personal finances. Yes. One and, thing
1: leads to another. And when you want to help somebody out, it's admirable, but you got to know how to go about doing it the right way so you don't throw yourself under the bus while you're trying to do good, right? And so I would say, Alex, the fact that you're trying to help one of your family members out, that's admirable. Like, that's a good thing. We should all strive to do that. And medical debt is clearly a heinous problem in our society these days. Fortunately, new rules ensure that medical debt of less than 500 bucks doesn't get reported to the bureaus, which has been actually massively beneficial to a lot of people helping raise their score, taking some of those things off of credit reports. But those larger bills, they still get reported, right? If it's above that $500 level, those are still going to hit the report, which then impact the score. And so given how Porous healthcare coverage can be. There are still millions of folks similar to what your family member is dealing with. And I would just suggest, please do go back and listen to our episode with Dr. Virgie, which was, we did in uh, 716, because you know she offered a lot of information about how to fight back against medical debt and how to get some of that wiped off of your credit report at the same time. Hopefully some of that info can help you challenge some of the medical bills that are coming in and get a reduction or potentially full forgiveness of the total amount owed. I think that I wish it weren't the case, Matt. That we had to have Dr. Virgie's tactics. I wish that wish the system was better at making sure people didn't get relegated to second class status as citizens because of some sort of. Adverse medical event, but sadly, we have to know these tactics to fight back if we're not going to be kind of victims of a credit scoring model that that isn't really all that great.
0: As, as well as the medical billing complex, right, that, <laughs> that exists out there. But trying to help this individual by adding them as an authorized user is that going to do the trick? Well, it'll help, but it's not going to be able to overcome just a mountain of negative information on their credit report if that's what we're talking about. Uh, if their score is in the five hundreds. Man, improvements, like seeing their score get to a level that most creditors or lenders uh, or landlords, we'll talk about that here in a second, what they see as decent is going to take some time. Uh, and so the most important thing is going to be to get that negative information off of the credit report. And so what we'd recommend is to pull the, their uh, credit report from annualcreditreport.com. Don't do this like, for them. like Help oh, them understand yeah, how to yeah, do yeah. it, right? You're going to walk through this. Yeah. Uh, walk them through this, sort of like we're talking about with James. Like, you are now on a team, and y'all are working together. Yeah. But challenge anything that isn't accurate. Uh, and again, see if they can get that medical debt forgiven, because that's going to have a massive impact as well to have that completely wiped. Yeah.
1: The truth is, they might qualify for full
0: forgiveness, and they just
1: don't know it, right? Mm -hmm. Because a a massive chunk of Americans, because of the way these nonprofit hospitals work and the the – forgiveness abilities for people who don't make enough money they don't necessarily advertise it right and they don't tell people who come in there hey guess what how much money do you make oh wait oh really oh well apply right here and you'll get full forgiveness for this medical bill It won't cost you a dime mm-hmm. they don't tell people that but the truth is forgiveness exists for a, a decent chunk of people who have uh, medical debt who rack up medical debt but matt yeah th- that is the first step and after that you know adding them as an authorized user because of how well you handle credit Well, that'll help, right? Because they'll get like uh, a little bump from having your uh, credit information showing up on their credit file. But I'd have them look into more than just that. I would say look into a service like Self as well, which is kind of cool. It's, it used to be called Self Lender. It's basically this way where where they if they have a certain amount of cash on hand, they can make a loan to themselves and pay it through Self. Self reports those payments uh, on the credit report and that helps people score significantly. I would just be taking like an all of the above approach because if I was attempting to raise that score meaningfully in short order, I would want yeah the help of an authorized user from a family member, which is which is awesome, uh, that one of those loans through self, I would want to challenge those inaccuracies, I want to want to do all of the above. And doing this credit builder loan via self, it can improve your score by something like 30 points over the course of the next six months. So we are talking about a a significant improvement. But you really want to you want to do all of these things and help them see the many ways in which they can benefit their score. It's not just the one thing. And if you try just the authorized user thing, you're probably going to see uh, a little bump, but not nearly as much as you're hoping for.
0: Yeah, it makes me think of was it last week that we're talking about the Experian boost uh, to oh, yeah. <laughs> to your credit. I mean, that, like we're making fun of the savings account or the debit card, the smart money account. That's right, but again, you have access to that without having to open that account. That is worth looking at. Yeah, uh, so you get the Experian boost as well as the Alex boost. <laughs> There's all, all of these small boosts along the way, which could hopefully move the needle in a significant way, because you talked about this family member wanting to, to potentially move, I think, sometime next year. If we're talking about renting, or even if we're talking about buying, their credit score being in a, in a healthier place is going to be integral to them being able to do either of those, thi- of those things, whether to buy or to rent, because uh, landlords and m- mortgage brokers they will both want to see a decent score. And aside from just improving that credit score, practically speaking, I think their other focus should be to save up some more money to have that on hand. Uh, Because if you are talking about renting, well, a landlord might ask for a higher security deposit because of that lower credit score if it hasn't rebounded enough by the time that they start looking for a place. That's literally something I've done with some recent renters. They had some hard times in their past when it came to their ability to pay some debt. Both of their credit scores were in a really rough place. But they were super upfront about it and said, hey, this is what we've had, some of the challenges that we faced in the past. This is what we're willing to do. And we were totally able to f- negotiate a higher deposit, which allowed them to t- 100% to get the place that they were excited about. Yeah. And, and just oftentimes tor- that would not have been the options, uh, been an option for especially like a, I guess, a larger Property management or a, a apartment complex, right? that yeah. kind of thing.
1: No, and, and that provides you protection as well, right? Just in case they haven't necessarily reformed <laughs> some yep. of their ways, exactly. or they're not paying their bills on time, and they're not paying their rent on time. Well, that additional security deposit puts you in a better position and allows you to accept a tenant
0: that doesn't have as great a te- uh, of credit. Exactly, and so that's when it comes to renting. But if we're talking about buying, I would say without knowing anything else about their finances, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb and say that. Renting for the near term future is likely going to be their best bet without taking on any additional undue risk by purchasing a home. uh, We don't want them to have very little on hand to put down and to end up financing a home at a higher interest rate than what they would need to. So it sounds like like you said, there might be some more time in the in the coming years for reform to happen. And once they are in a really strong financial position, that's, you know, and you're saving, like we were talking about with James, once you're saving up that solid 20% down, that's when we want to see them starting yeah. to see what's out there on the market. Yeah. And, and I just want to say
1: too, I, I think this is kind of teaching your family member to fish as opposed to handing them fish. And so when you're kind of saying, hey, this is kind of how the credit scoring model works, and I'm willing to do this one thing on your half. But if you do this, this, and this, this will actually help you meaningfully improve your score yeah. in, in not not too, too long, maybe six months to a year, we should be able to see an improvement of of triple digits and uh, if we're taking all of these steps and so i think you can help teach them you can even take them to annualcreditreport.com and say this is how you pull the credit report and this is how you see if there's something inaccurate on there and this is how you reach out to the hospital to see if there's any forgiveness for that bill but don't do it for them um and this this can be you just can
0: take them directly to the credit bureau location here in atlanta is it equifax uh, equifax yeah, that's, that's atlanta, that's your yeah right yeah. on peachtree yeah if you go there in person it's like farm to table right. but <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think they let you in. I don't think they'll you can get it directly from the source. Right? Yes. No, it's definitely not. That's any not how it works. If, if you go there in person. No, you, you got to do it through the internet. Their <laughs> customer
1: service is um, lackadaisical at best. But yeah, there's there's so much that you can help them figure out. Just make sure that this is a learning process, so they can continue to do these things and work on their credit it it makes me think of like a, a parent who does a kid's assignment for them for school or something like that. They don't don't do them any good. No, they don't learn to buckle down because there's <laughs> going to be many more assignments and I, you don't want to have to be doing those assignments for them in perpetuity. It's it's one of those things where it's like you have to kind of stick with them through that hard time uh, through the through the writer's block or whatever it is and kind of push them forward so they can have success in in future assignments as well. That's and right. last but not least Alex I just want to say congrats on paying off all your credit card debt. Oh, That's yeah. huge. I did
0: not even mention that so much about your family member's financial situation and credit score. It's got a s- score she set up, up in the 800s? Yeah. That's super solid. Amazing. I feel like this it's is awesome.
1: worthy of celebration for you for sure. Yeah. And it, of course, as you know, it's not easy to get there, but you made it
0: happen. And your family member, I think they can do the same. Uh, and I think that can provide just hope and inspiration for yeah. that family member to say, hey, look, I was in... Look how far I've come. Yeah, I was kind of in a similar boat and by taking these steps. By listening to this podcast, it's <laughs> a little plug for the yeah. How to Money show. Yeah,
1: Yeah, you should force them to <laughs> (laughs) listen to us three days a week.
0: Uh, But I I think it could most definitely improve their their finances. The fact that you're walking alongside them is incredible. But Joel, we've got more to get to. We're going to discuss paying for higher education. We'll get to that right after this break.
1: Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances.
3: If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mentioned that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual
1: rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year.
0: That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy
1: Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. All right, Matt, let's keep going. Let's get to our Facebook question of the week. By the way, if you're not a member of the How to Money Facebook group and you're on Facebook regularly, it's the best part of being on that social media site. I actually don't use Facebook for... Anything else except Facebook Marketplace Marketplace. and the How to Money Facebook group? The only Mm -hmm. two things I use it for. So be sure to go check that out. It's How to Money listeners helping each other out. Eleven thousand people strong. This question comes from Brandon, who says, "I need a recommendation on places to open a five twenty nine account for a kid's college fund. My current credit union and investment services don't seem to offer it." Last week we actually talked about how much to contribute to a five twenty nine. It's possible to overdo it, but something around the hundred dollar a month level is a great goal to have, especially given you know that increased level. flexibility that we talked about or if you overfund it you can you know siphon some of that money into a Roth IRA over time for your kiddo typically uh, is who you're saving money in a 529 for but where do you go to open up a 529 account that's not something we've really talked about much on the show Matt I guess we have a little bit there are really two routes that you can go with this there are advisor sold plans and there are direct sold plans. And so, if you've been listening to us for any length of time, my guess is you can already uh, intimate <laughs> what which one we prefer. Mm-hmm. Matt, do you want to elaborate? We're talking
0: about direct, baby. Again, you go directly to the five twenty nine building, mm-hmm. and you get a f- straight, fresh, you know, uh, farm to table style, That's just right. like with Equifax. You want to show up in person, <laughs> and that farm to table style uh, comes with far fewer fees. <laughs> uh, no, it is true. Advisor sold plans they end up costing folks much more. Money money over time Uh, morningstar they actually found that 0.6 percent that that is the average gap which uh, surprisingly that sounds like the fee that an advisor would charge you in order to manage manage your stuff and that's that's average
1: so when we're talking about the lowest that is true lowest cost funds it's actually an even bigger gap typically Um, so
0: we'll get we talk more about that in a second that's right yeah so because of that most folks are going to be better off taking the diy approach especially given the array of inexpensive investment options inside many of these 529 accounts these days. Uh, and so what investment options should you choose? Well, that kind of depends on how old your kid is, guess uh, a straight up low cost index fund can be a, a great choice. But there are also age based options that get more conservative as you get closer to needing those funds. Those are well worth worth considering. I know for the the Georgia 529, which our it's a weird URL. It's like path to 529, path you, to college, path I think. to college 529, yeah. or something like that. And it's like four different things, <laughs> <laughs> just like crammed into a URL. But they've got options, and they are uh, a lot of them that are age based, are based on the date that the or the year that your child is going to enroll. Uh, you've got those, but then you've also got like. Preservation of capital options. You've got balanced approach, and then you've got the 100% equities, yeah. which is the most—it's the most aggressive option that they have. But it's basically just 100% stocks. And if you're investing
1: you, for something like a newborn, that can make sense. That is
0: totally the path that you're going to want to take. But if you are looking at funding, let's—he didn't say the age of his of his kid, but if, let's say you've got like a 14-year-old, 15-year-old—you are a lot closer to that kid needing to tap those funds, and you probably don't want to expose your kid to or their money that's in the five twenty to that much risk yeah yeah exactly you're you're
1: being a little too cavalier <laughs> <in> all <laughs> likely in all likelihood if you choose the most aggressive path when they're that age and and so the first question is that sort of direct sold versus advisor sold plan which one do you want to go with? do you want the handholding and the much higher fees, or do you are you down with the DIY approach, which is something that we always encourage here on the show. And then the next question is like, well, which state 529 plan do you go with? And a lot of people think, oh, I guess I have to go with the state 529 plan for for where I live. Not That's not actually the case. But for a lot of people, it actually makes the most sense to go with the 529 plan in the state where they live, especially if there's a tax break, uh, a state tax break associated with that account, right? So... Uh, for instance, in Georgia, it, where we live, if you can put up to $8,000 per beneficiary in to your 529 account, you can actually put more in there. But every dollar you put in up to $8,000 per beneficiary shields you from state tax, right? If you're married filing jointly. So that is something to know. Do you live in a state that offers a state tax benefit? And if so up to what amount, and that is kind of how you're going to want to think about and decide where you decide to invest your money. Let's say you live in a state, though, without a state income tax. Well, you'll, you'll likely want to opt
0: for a direct sold plan from another state that prioritizes low fees. Which is totally legit. That's totally an option. You do not have to open a P.O. box in, yeah. that, in that state. Because <laughs> let's
1: be honest, a lot of the 529 plans have gotten a whole lot better, but in some states they still suck. And so if if you are in one of the states that has higher fees on 529 plans, you, you're you going to want to go with a, a lower cost state plan that's run by another state, uh, which is, again, Doable, no problems. Uh, so Georgia and Utah are two of the best. They've been great for quite a while with some of the absolute rock bottom lowest fees. Matt, like you said, we invest in the Georgia Path to College program, and it rocks. Like the fees are are literally uh, uh, right about point 0.1% on a lot of these funds, which is close to non-existent.
0: That's what we like to see. Yeah, Path. Uh, with number two, college529.com. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's kind of ratchet. But that being said, like this is the DIY approach, but it's still a website. Like there's still somewhere for you to go. It's not like you're having to cobble this together yeah. and write some sort of charter at home. Still, no, still easy. It's still relatively easy. It's just not quite as easy if you were to. Let's say you've got a brokerage account or uh, an IRA, first of all, sort of like we we're talking about earlier, right? The first thing you need to have is an IRA. Then after that, then you look at a brokerage accounts. But a lot of folks are going to think, oh, my, the default thing I should do is just go there. This, they're going to make it easy. They administer 529 accounts. But the best path is to go ahead and open a new account with whatever state you choose uh, when it comes to the, uh, the 529 account that you'd like to open. Uh, saving for college. That's actually, I think, the best site to do some research about 529 plans. make sure to link to that in the show notes. But you can check to see if you are eligible for a tax break via your state. Uh, And there are links to the direct sole plans for every other state. Uh, Again, going through an advisor intermediary is possible. And that, that, you know, It's legit, but it's going to eat into those returns, which means you're going to have fewer dollars for your kid's college once the time comes. But uh, if you pick one of the best low-cost plans, just keep dollar-cost averaging into that plan regularly. You're going to be just fine. Yeah,
1: I'm glad we went over this, though, how to choose the right 529 plan, because most people are like, okay, 529 plans. And then we say, hey, yeah, if you're far along enough in your own money journey, you've been saving for your own retirement really well, yeah, maybe this is the next step for you. And then people are like, great what do i do now Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so it's good to know hey direct sold SavingForCollege has all these rankings and ratings. Know whether or not your state has some sort of tax benefit for you. If not, go with one of the low cost states. Uh, and Utah and Georgia are two of the best, two of our faves. And that's right. So, and not just because we live
0: here. No, yeah, we're they're, not they're homers. Good. We're just saying literally. There's, that, there's several other states that oftentimes I want to just off the top of my head. I want to say Ohio. Ohio, solid. Always, but I just
1: dug through again, and Ohio's good,
0: but not quite as low as Georgia. Oh really? So Georgia's like literally. Georgia and Utah are the top two. Oh nice. That yeah. was not the case as of like I would say last year. And, and it's, well, it's something that they revisit in, in their rank based on oftentimes fees and some of the different investing options that are available to you. So what that yeah. tells me is that Georgia said, hey, we're going to make sure that the different options that we are that we are offering folks, that they're affordable, that there's plenty of choices, because in the end, that's going to mean the ability for those kids to have more to go yeah. towards college. So
1: lots of folks who live in a state with no state income tax benefit, Georgia's is the place to go. Really.
0: Nice. Yeah. We're number one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can cheer our home state on on that one for sure all right but let's get back to the beer mat that you and i had on this episode this one's called broccoli it's a double dry hopped uh ipa what are your thoughts on this one from other half
0: man this is such a delicious beer i wish i could honestly i wish i could compare uh some other half ipas to burial because oh, in my mind they're they're pretty similar they're both very kind of earthy and like vegetal it's got hops out the wazoo there, there's a reason they're using vegetables for their branding yes because it does have like this herbal vegetal like earthiness yeah. to it, uh, but it's super hazy. It's kind of got those orangey notes. And what I would say about this beer, though, uh, as much as you and I, I'm sure you're going to have nothing but nice, nice things to say about it as well. This is the pro-level IPA. Oh, yeah. We were talking about tax loss harvesting earlier and how it's like, we don't want you to get overly obsessed with that too early on, but at eventually at some point you can kind of work your way up to that. That's how I feel about this beer. because <laughs> somebody who's never had an IPA, were they to go straight to this, I think they might say... Uh, are you sure this is a beer? Like they're not necessarily going to know even what they're drinking uh, as opposed to having kind of uh, progressed through the craft beer offerings and you find yourself kind of at this point but.
1: you don't want to go from two to ten right and this is a, <laughs> this is a 10 oh, this, beer it's this like a like an 11 yeah
0: it's gonna it's <laughs> gonna give you a little mouth kick
1: and uh if you're if you can handle it like Matt and I we've <laughs> many years of training have led us to this point where we can drink a beer like this and admire it and appreciate it and enjoy it but yeah if you're a newbie it's something to behold yeah you, you might not be <laughs> quite ready for the depth and the glory that is this beer but yeah no I, I I love this one I have nothing negative to say only positives and I don't have really much to add except for it's freaking delicious so good it's top notch uh just like i've come to expect from from other half when actually when emily and i were in new york we stopped by other half has uh they've got a little bar in rockefeller center now oh yeah a little tasting Uh uh-huh bar i actually brought Uh. a couple beers home got them in the fridge so we got tons of other half (laughs) in the fridge right now thanks to jason and thanks to my new york city trip but this one again comes from jason thank you jason oh and at the bar we had a broccoli I believe it was like a cheesy broccoli or something like that. Oh, so right. they, they do some sort of variation on oh, it. I love that. And that was delicious too, but man, I'm a big fan of this one.
0: Yeah, roasted broccoli perhaps. Maybe. Charred broccoli. You know,
1: we've talked about. I
0: love that. What was his name? That was oh. the
1: Frankie Salenza.
0: Frankie, where you talked about. Struggle the, meals. <laughs> that's, that's right. We'll link to that episode as well if you happen to think, oh yeah, I would like to find a way to spend less on groceries. How do I reduce my grocery budget every single month? Well, you just listen to Frankie's interview. Yeah, well, maybe maybe
1: I'll teach you how to cook some basic stuff that you would Maybe uh, hadn't otherwise thought to try. Those cruciferous
0: uh, (laughs) vegetables. (laughs) But yeah, that's going to be it for this episode. You can find links to some of the different episodes and resources that we mentioned during this episode up in our show notes at HowToMoney.com. No doubt. And And we've actually got a
1: whole resources page. If you're like, I know Matt and Joel have talked about a whole lot of good stuff over the years, and I should go back and see what the top URLs they've mentioned or what the top resources are they've got. HowToMoney.com slash resources. You can find them all in one
0: location it makes it easy as opposed to digging through the show notes because let's be honest folks are listening maybe slightly delayed and they're thinking oh i'm gonna have to go digging for that nah just go to howtomoney.com forward slash resources you'll find it all there most def all right man that's gonna be it until next time best friends out best friends out
1: marketing.com.